Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 697 for the 12th of June, 2020. This week, if you encounter a computer problem that can't possibly be happening, it's important to realize two things. First, it is happening. And second, there is a reason it's happening. Finding the reason and fixing it are the entertaining parts. That is, if you have a warped sense of entertainment. In short circuits, Thunderbird is an email application that will probably never see another major update. But it's full of useful features and a great solution for those who don't like Outlook. The latest version of Firefox has added some worthwhile features while expanding its efforts to keep users and their data secure. In spare parts only on the website, some Facebook scammers aren't even trying to appear legitimate anymore. Keeping employees safe has exposed some companies' networks and proprietary data during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. And 20 years ago, MacStore was about to introduce enormous disk drives that could hold up to 60 gigabytes of data. But you would need very deep pockets to buy one. Occasionally, a problem crops up, and although it seems to be something that will be an easy fix, provides frustration and some degree of entertainment for several days. Initially, you might even question whether it's really happening. Outlook was suddenly unable to connect to the simple mail transfer protocol server at Bluehost, that's SMTP. That happened about two weeks ago. Obviously, something had changed, and a quick repair would probably take care of it, I thought. The same problem occurred on an iPad OS tablet, but not on an Android phone. And that was the first clue that it might be a puzzler. Microsoft had recently installed an update for Windows, so that could be part of the problem. But Apple had also recently installed an update for the iPad OS, and that could also be part of the problem. Because the issue existed in multiple email programs on multiple devices running multiple operating systems, the obvious conclusion had to be that it was Bluehost. Every application on every device was able to retrieve mail using either of the common protocols, either POP3 or IMAP. The problem occurred only when I tried to send mail. My personal account didn't work. The TechBiter account didn't work. And my wife's personal account, it didn't work either. An hour-long chat with Bluehost Tech Support ran through a variety of tests. I had already done most of them on my own. Overall, I spent nearly three hours over two days with three different Level 1 techs. Despite several requests, the issue was never escalated to a Level 2 tech. I thought the problem would be solved when one of the technicians told me that my accounts were on a different server. Had Bluehost escalated the problem to a level 2 tech, that person probably would have asked one key question that would have led to a nearly immediate resolution. But that never happened. Instead of being on Box 465, where my accounts have been for the better part of a decade, they are now on Box 2274. 
but apparently there is some redirection in the background because the old server name still works, at least on some devices. Now, however, the SMTP server should either be mail.blin.com or mail.techbiter.com or box2274.bluehost.com, all of them using SSL TLS security. One of the email clients complained about an expired security certificate but one of the Bluehost technicians claimed that he checked the certificate and it was not expired. Maybe, maybe not. But I did know that Thunderbird had warned me about an expired security certificate, and when I selected the option to set an exception, it worked. Because that worked, I thought I might switch to Thunderbird, which I've used previously, even though Outlook provides some features that are exceptionally nice to have. After all, I couldn't examine the certificate myself. I'm in Ohio and the server is in Utah. What I did is this. Some quick research led me to Send in Blue. That's a service that provides email distribution for newsletters, similar to what MailChimp does for the weekly TechBiter program. And it also offers SMTP service for up to 300 emails per day, with a maximum of 40 messages per hour. I doubt that I send 300 emails per month most of the time, so the free service is more than adequate for my needs. Setting up the account on the Windows computer in Outlook was easy. Setting up the account on the Android phone in Bluemail was easy. By the way, Bluemail is not related in any way to Bluehost or Send in Blue. There's just a lot of blue here. I did run into a roadblock when I tried setting it up in both the Apple Mail app and the Blue Mail app for iPad OS. Neither application could reach the server. So, although the main problem seemed to be at Bluehost, I thought that there might also be a problem with version 13.5.1 of iPad OS. That seemed like the only logical explanation when two email applications from two different providers failed to connect to the sent in Blue server. There are workarounds. Both Gmail and Outlook accounts are installed in Bluemail, so I was able to reply to messages from either of the accounts hosted by Bluehost by just switching the sender to Gmail or Outlook. There were other options that should have worked, too. I should have been able to use my Internet Service Provider's server or connect to the Gmail server. Neither of those worked in Bluemail on the iPad, and that was another hint that the problem might be with the iPad OS. And indeed, the problem was with the iPad, but not with the iPad itself or the iPad OS. The Private Internet Access Virtual Private Network, or VPN, that encrypts my connections was blocking connections to the SMTP server. The Private Internet Access Knowledge Base explains the problem this way. Any VPN provider that does not retain logs must block outgoing SMTP traffic due to rampant spam associated with usage of VPN services. We can whitelist any outgoing mail server that requires authentication and is correctly set up so as not to be an open relay. Well, aha! So I requested that the necessary servers be whitelisted, and Private Internet Access said in less than an hour that they had made the change. Unfortunately, they hadn't, and a later conversation with one of their technicians revealed that PIA would not whitelist the Send in Blue server. Meanwhile, Bluemail on the iPad continued to be unable to deal with the need for two sets of credentials, one for incoming mail, the other for outgoing mail. 
It authenticated when I entered the credentials for the SMTP server, but it then switched the password back to the one required for the inbound server. So if you have an Android device, I can heartily recommend Bluemail. But if you have an iOS or iPad OS device, forget it. Because I dislike the iPad OS email client, I've started trying Canary, and it looks very promising. When I have enough experience to rate the application, I'll tell you more about it. I've also switched from private internet access to NordVPN, which does block SMTP access, but only when it's on port 25. If the server requires an encrypted connection on port 485 or 587, Nord allows it, as it should. Bluehost would have saved everybody a lot of time had any of the level 1 techs simply escalated the question to level 2, because one question would have provided the solution. The question, are you using a VPN? In fact, I should have seen that myself because I knew that many VPN providers do block access to SMTP by default, but I thought the VPN was off because I was at home. It wasn't. And if you want to look for the silver lining in this dark cloud, Send in Blue is it. After creating the free account and confirming your email address, the service displays the information needed to set up the SMTP service in your email application. Or most of it. There was one minor omission. The server is smtp-relay.sendinblue.com on port 587. You'll be provided a very long password, but the instructions did omit some security information. I assumed SSL TLS, but that didn't work. Instead, for me, on the iPad, Send in Blue needed Start TLS on port 485. And because of the omission, setting up the account took about 30 seconds longer than it might have otherwise. Not a big deal. What happens next is the interesting part. When messages have been sent, you can visit a dashboard that shows when each message was sent and the addressee. Okay, so your email program already does that by placing the message in the sent folder. What the dashboard also shows is the time that the message was delivered to the recipient's server and when the recipient opened the message. Send in Blue is headquartered in Paris, but also has offices in the US, Germany, and India. The service I'm using is referred to as transactional because it describes personal messages sent to just one or a few recipients. The limit of 300 messages per day may seem excessive for that, but Send in Blue also handles campaigns such as newsletters, service reminders, and other messages that businesses use to connect with their clients. Anyone who's in charge of electronic marketing could spend a profitable few minutes taking a look at what Send in Blue has to offer and its prices. The prices are competitive with other services such as MailChimp or Constant Contact, and there's a wide variety of additional features. Besides email marketing, SMS marketing messages are available, and a website component allows visitors to start a chat with someone at the company. Think carefully about adding that feature to your website, though, because if you do, you'll need to have somebody who's ready to respond to messages promptly. Automation is another feature, and you'll see that in action shortly after you sign up. Seconds after creating the account, I received a message from the co-CEO. There are also customer relationship management features, ways to use the system with a Facebook presence, and several other useful options. So, despite the several hours of frustration, an outstanding service caught my attention. 
If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In Short Circuits, I've already explained how, during the time I was wrestling with Outlook's inability to send mail, I tried using Thunderbird again. Although it complained about a problem, it then let me set an exception and then just worked. I even considered switching to Thunderbird because, while it's unlikely to ever see another significant upgrade, it is a fine email client. If you don't care for Outlook or the email clients provided by Microsoft or Apple, Thunderbird is worth looking at. It's from Mozilla, the developers of Firefox. There is no version for Android, iOS, or iPad OS devices, though, and there never will be. On desktop systems, you get tabbed email browsing, smart searches, custom folders, and spam filtering. These all make Thunderbird a good choice, and it works well with most email services. And like Firefox, Thunderbird accepts plugins. When combined with Thunderbird's built-in settings, and there are a lot of them, the plugins make it the most customizable email application around. There's even a built-in calendar that can be synchronized with the Google Calendar. From a usability standpoint, there is absolutely no reason that switching from Outlook to Thunderbird would have been a problem. It would have been an organizational challenge, though, because several years' worth of messages are stored in Outlook, and there is no inexpensive, easy way to transfer Outlook messages to Thunderbird. There are inexpensive methods, but they're all cumbersome and labor-intensive, particularly because Thunderbird's built-in import function is prone to crashing time after time after time. There are easy ways, but they all require purchasing an application for $40 or more. The alternative would be to keep Outlook and its files on the computer for historical messages while using Thunderbird for all new messages. And if you want to switch to Thunderbird for good and automate the process of conversion, take a look at Aid for Mail. It's a very good choice, and there's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. The current version of Thunderbird is 68.9.0, and it was released in early June. So security updates and bug fixes are still being provided. Just don't look for any major updates. If you want to give Thunderbird a try, just download it from the Thunderbird website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Since we're already in Mozilla's neighborhood, let's take a quick look at Firefox version 78. Firefox still can't get the respect it deserves, but the Mozilla development team keeps making the browser better. There's no question that Chromium-based browsers have the greatest market penetration, but Firefox is back in the game with some new features to accompany the browser's emphasis on privacy and security. 
Firefox's default search engine is DuckDuckGo, which doesn't track users the way Google does. You can still use Google if you need to, or even switch the default search engine to Google, or Bing, or Amazon, eBay, Twitter, or even Wikipedia. One of the primary new features in version 78 is a redesigned layout that you'll see when you open a new tab. Initially, you'll see links to top-ranking websites and popular search engines. Over time, Firefox will learn which sites you use frequently and will add them to the display. And, of course, the user can customize which sites appear there and even move or eliminate a section if you don't want it. Private browsing has some extra features to protect your privacy. Enhanced tracking protection blocks many of the trackers that would otherwise follow you around online and collect information about your browsing habits and interests. It also includes protections against harmful scripts. Currently, that feature is available only on the desktop version of the browser, though. When you start typing in the combined address and search bar, Firefox provides suggestions based on your existing bookmarks and tags, history, open tabs, and popular searches. This is one of those clever little features that seems so obvious in hindsight. And Firefox can synchronize bookmarks if you use several different computers and devices. I like having all of my bookmarks on Windows, Mac OS, Android, and iPad OS devices. It makes finding what I'm looking for so much easier. You can synchronize with spare parts, but only on the website. And this week, you'll find these articles. Some Facebook scammers aren't even trying to appear legitimate anymore. Keeping employees safe has exposed some companies' networks and proprietary data during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. And 20 years ago, MacStore was about to introduce enormous disk drives that could hold up to 60 gigabytes of data. But you would need really deep pockets to buy one. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.